This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, You'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18+, plus. rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Uh, right, welcome to another edition of My Chelsea, uh, which I've got to say, I've, I've been having so much fun doing all of this. And uh, uh, my next guest, uh, who's become a great, great mate uh, and uh, never ever uh, holds, you know, he never holds back when he's on the fan cast. So I'm hoping he's going to do much the same, telling us all about really, you know, how he became a Chelsea fan. So without further ado, uh, the Reverend Tony Glover. How are you, dear boy? I am very well, thank you. And I, I, I love that we still call each other Reverend and Archbishop, mate. I still think that's uh, that's nicely nicely hierarchical, your well, grace. Indeed, you know, <laughs> we, we need to keep some sort of discipline, even though we're all on lockdown, I think. So, <laughs> no, no, I mean, in fact, actually, uh, Tony and I are dressed in our dinner suits, uh, for this session, when we could actually be sitting here in our underpants, but we take we take this seriously. Anyway, enough about you and me trying to do our bloody little and large routine or whatever it is. Indeed, Morecambe and Wise, choose your favourite comedic duo. Um, now, of course, I know the answers to most of these because I've known you for a while. But um, you know, tell tell the listener how you how how did you become a Chelsea fan, Tony? Um, well, for me, it all started in um, in nineteen seventy. Um, uh, and uh, my birthday is in August, so this would have been around about March, April time in 1970. Um, and we were football mad as kids, me and my mates at school. And um, we used to kick up, we used to, actually, because we weren't allowed to have real footballs in the playground, we had to use these things called sock balls made out of socks. I mean, this is real jumpers for goalpost stuff, like, you know. Um, and uh, But none of us really had a team. And um, I remember, um, you know, Chelsea were progressing in the cup. And uh, uh, as were Leeds United, and uh, as it transpired, you know that was the year of the, the, the now infamous Chelsea Leeds uh, FA Cup final. And um, I just remember, you know, most of the lads at school, most of my mates, wanted Leeds to win, and it was simply this: they didn't know that Leeds was spelt double E, um, and they didn't know that it didn't imply leaders. Yeah, they, we were just kids; we had no concept of 
there being a town or a city called Leeds. Okay. Um, and so they'd be like, you know, Leeds are leaders. It was that kind of childish uh, simplicity. Um, and I went home and I, I sort of said to my dad, I was a bit unconvinced about all that old crap. Uh, and I, he just said to me, you should support your local team. And um, at the time, I lived in a place called Hayes, in, which in the former county of Middlesex is now just subsumed into the rather more bland London Borough of Hillingdon. And we were just, it's just down the road from Heathrow Airport. Um, and actually, it wasn't known as Heathrow Airport back then. It was known as London Airport. Um, and uh, also, I had no concept that Chelsea was London. I, I really didn't. And I had no concept of the fact that um, Hayes itself was greater London. You know, we were, we were 10 miles from the centre of London. And um, so I, he just said, you've got to support your local team, boy. And uh, I said, who's that then? <laughs> he went, well, Chelsea, unit. Um, and, and that was pretty much it for me. Um, within a week, my bedroom uh, was absolutely plastered with uh, paper, newspaper or magazine pictures of, of that squad and those players and some of the previous players um, like Barry Bridges and that who'd, who'd probably seen their name, Jimmy Greaves and that sort of stuff. Um, and Dad had also mentioned at the time that they were underdogs. Uh, I had no idea what an underdog was either, you know. And um, when, the, when the concept of, you know, no one actually expected us to win um, uh, was explained to me, I kind of liked that. It was a David versus Goliath thing. And I think that final was a proper David versus Goliath because you had this behemoth of Leeds United, Don Revy and his rigid, um, strictly controlled, disciplined bunch of thugs and kickers versus a kind of ragtag and bobtail, long-haired, King's Road, um, drinking, womanising uh, Chelsea. <laughs> Roundheads versus Cavaliers, mate. It, it was, yeah. And yeah. Do you know what? I, I really liked it. And and I think also, and I've got to say this, and it's never been, um, it's, it's a minor criteria, but the royal blue kit of that time was so lovely. It was so eye-catching as opposed to the rather dull, bland white. And this is why I've never really, never really uh, had much warmth around teams in white. I just think, oh, you just couldn't be bothered to pick a colour, eh? So you just went, oh, we'll wear white. You know, so um, that that kit was a thing of beauty. So uh, yeah, yeah, it was indeed actually, and I don't know why, but um, I mean, obviously, I was <clears throat> I'm a little bit younger than you, so I don't really have many memories of that. But uh, the, uh, it's one of the first things I remember about Chelsea's kit. Actually, it was the dark blueness of it. Yes, a very rich, uh, rich blue, and it, it seems I, I get very cross when the more modern kits look. They they have a kind of a lighter bluish hue. Mm. which is wrong but there we go um now okay that was 1970 when we won the cup obviously uh now uh your first your first match was very shortly after that wasn't it it, it was uh it it would have been uh, the following season so my my birthday's august the 6th um and of course the family had suddenly realized it had a a young chelsea obsessed chelsea mad um uh football mad kid in the presence, it was like a, a, a kind of coming of age, even though I was only sort of like nine by the time I went to my first game. And I had a uh, cousin of mine, uh, a guy called Trevor Pilbra. Uh, I haven't seen Trevor in 40 years, I wouldn't have think, thought now. Um, and he was about 10 years older than me, and uh, he'd really broken the mould within the family, with sort of typical working class family throughout, the, you know, all the branches of it. And, and he'd become a, a chartered accountant which at the time was just, you know, 
uh, you know, that was one of the top jobs around. It was just, you know, really something else. Everyone was really proud of him. Um, and and I, I did have a thing about Derby County, despite the fact they played in white. I quite liked them. Um, I always liked the style of football. But they had a goal, goalkeeper called Les Green. Um, I, I'm not sure what the stats are, but I think he was about two inches taller than I am now. Um, which would have made him about five foot seven and a half because I've shrunk half an inch over the years, and um, and it was didn't seem to be much of a handicap for, for goalkeepers then. And he was he was a phenomenal keeper, uh, very very good. And um, uh, we won two uh, one that day, as my recollection is, with goals from Ian Hutchinson, who was one of the most to this day, and I've said it on the fancast before. I think he's one of the most underrated heroes players that we've ever had. Um, the, the guy was phenomenal uh, and he had a long throw and I, I could be wrong, but I don't think anybody anywhere in the world has surpassed Ian Hutchinson's ability to throw a long throw. I, I, I think I seem to remember at one point he could throw the ball the length of a pitch given the run up. It was phenomenal. It was a second, it was like having a free kick or a corner or or. or or that sort of thing, you know, it, it really was just a, a, a sight to behold. The man was magnificent. And, um, uh, and I think, uh, I think if anybody really wants to know, um, how that felt going to that first game, you should watch a film called Fever Pitch, which, yeah, I grant you is about uh, a young lad, uh, uh, who's an Arsenal fan, it's from the book written by Nick Hornby, but it's the most fantastic moment when his dad takes him rather unwillingly he's he's rather unwilling to go to the football game but you know so that or the zoo sort of thing uh, and he first walks up the stairs inside Highbury uh, and he sees his first glimpse of the pitch and the kind of amphitheater um uh, of the football ground and he's he's boom gone that minute is that's it sealed forever and and that was it for me and going to see Chelsea at the old Stamford Bridge beat Derby County 2-1 it was a birthday present as well. It was just one of the most exciting days of my life, without a doubt. Do you want? Do you want to have that memory rekindled, mate? Yeah, yeah. Go cool. Let's 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 have a look at this. This is uh, I'm gobsmacked that you've managed to find this one. First year up, and the following season started on the ground of FA Cup winners Chelsea. The O'Hare Hector combination still dangerous. This, this is just phenomenal, and uh, <laughs> all of those players on our team look like they've come out of a lockdown with their hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Derby took the lead. And I think at that point you were thinking, oh, oh you know. But uh, this, this, that Chelsea side had um, formidable amounts of points. Uh, Great goal, wasn't it? Great headed yeah, yeah. goal. Yeah, and, and he really wasn't a particularly stylish player or anything like that. But he, he had balls and... and you know, he was very much an unsung hero. I think he actually went on to much. run a pub with Peter Osgood when they both retired from the game temporarily, uh, you know, for a short period in Windsor. Um, I mean, both players are sadly, you know, passed on now. But, um, yeah, Ian Hutchinson was... Uh, I, I can't I can't get over the fact that I still say that, you know, when people talk about that side, they go Osgood and they go, oh, you know, Peter Bonetti and all the worthy names. And Hutchinson, somehow or another, teams have taken a, a second tier, almost like with Peter Houseman, who I think was another, you know, very much unsung hero of a side. Uh, the water carriers, I guess, Didier Deschamps would call them, but, you know, a team has to have them. Very, very brave player, Ian Hutch. Got lots of injuries, of course. But that second yep. goal, I mean, I think actually that 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 beautifully summed up Hutch's career, those two goals. 
Okay, minus the fact that we didn't see him take a big long throw in, but that header was just su- that was a yes. superb what we would yeah. call a bullet bullet header <clears throat> from just outside the six yard area. But the second goal was really scrappy, horrible, dirty, but he got in there where it counts yeah. and it went yeah. in. Proper lovely player, Ian Hutchinson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, and there we go. Better. I mean, t- talking to players, actually, Tony. I mean, you know, who, who were the favourites when you were growing up? They, I mean, from an obvious perspective, it starts with that 1970 squad. Um, I doubt I could do it, but there was a, for many, many years I could rattle them off, you know, all the way through, um, uh, you know, by name. Um, you know, such was the impact they had on me. I think when I, I look back and, you know, just listening to recent fan casts, um, you know, when we've discussed this, you know, during the lockdown, um, there are some obvious ones from that side. I could say the whole of that side, but I would go for the four that I would pick from that side, particularly with Peter Bonetti, um, sadly also uh, recently passed. Um, and the fact that he was such an influence on me as a young guy, he was never going to be a goalkeeper because, you know, I couldn't even match Les Green for bloody height. Um, but um, just a fantastic goalkeeper and, and has, has been absolutely universally acknowledged, such a nice bloke. Peter Osgood, for obvious reasons, um, you know, uh, players like that come along. I'm not sure we ever had a striker uh, from Peter Osgood. The next one was Kerry Dixon and that was you know, some years before Kerry turned up on the scene. And then from Kerry onwards, you know, not even the likes of Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank and that reached that kind of level of, of hero worship because I think the next one for me then was Didier Drogba, who, you know, I think he was up there. But Ian Hutchinson and Charlie Cook. Charlie Cook was a mercurial player, a kind of um, slightly bigger, older, gruffer version of Pat Nevin. Um uh, it's, it's such a shame that I'm not going to say this. It sounds awfully racist, but it's such a shame he was Scottish because he would have just been absolutely <laughs> perfect for the England team. But I think Alf Ramsey probably wouldn't have picked him. He 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 definitely seems to have something against um, Chelsea Chelsea players because you look at the likes of Alan Hudson, um, Webb, Peter Osgood, yeah, players that you you'd think looking to John die, Hollins, yeah. Collins and, and and that sort of thing. I mean, I'm not saying that the other players weren't worthy of it, but I look at them and I think, you know, that, that, that Chelsea side had a lot of players worthy of, of, of an England game. Yeah, you, and, they, and barely any of them ever got into the side. It's a really interesting point because the, the natural assumption, particularly with Ramsey and Revy, was that they just didn't like the Chelsea players who were the womanising drinking mob, mm. you know, and, and yeah. Aussie and Alan Hudson very much to the fore there. But I think actually it was just that they didn't like Chelsea because John Hollins was about as straight as a die. Yes. And he only got yeah, one yeah. cap. Uh, David yeah. Webb, I mean, some Absolutely. of the centre-halves they picked, there's no way he shouldn't have been picked. And he wasn't really one of the rowdy bunch. I mean, he, I know uh, he, I know he liked a bit, he was a bit, you know, uh, fancy Dan as well, but, uh, you know, not like Ozzy and Alan Hudson. And actually, I, I picked this up from, from Jonathan when we've been doing our 50 years of Chelsea, actually. And he was saying that, you know that Kings of the Kings Road team. They nobody. They were they were not liked by a lot of no. football people. No, I mean Leeds United absolutely detested them at the time. I think there was some friendships made uh, later on, and it's interesting we say about Alf Ramsey because I think um, I don't think he would have put George Best in the England team had he been English for the same reasons. He just didn't fit that image. You know, no matter how good he was, there was this kind of. You know, England up up until and beyond Ramsey actually always you, they had a kind of Corinthian 
attitude towards it you know that and that's not really us sort of not really cricket old boy if you if you if you're out doing that sort of thing you know irrespective of Maradona wouldn't have been in that Ramsey's team I don't think you know so it was it was it was interesting times I think it was such a wasted opportunity when that England team probably from about 70 needed some sort of regeneration you know they, they needed some changes from the 66 squad that was so successful and and there was a plethora of young players not only at Chelsea that could have come in and done a job but that's happening now but it didn't happen for many many years so yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting isn't it I, I was really struck by the fact that you know Chelsea were never taken seriously because of where they are in Chelsea yes. not exactly like a hard working class footballing area and also because they were seen as flash and cocky because of the whole yes. King's Road thing I'd never heard that before and of course I wouldn't yeah. know because I wasn't around then but that's interesting yeah. Um, we're going to nail well, think, it. Sorry, go on, mate. I was, was going to say that, that you know, if you, if you then move on, there are uh, other players that come along later. Ray Wilkins, Mickey Droy. I wish we had Mickey Droy now. Um, what a what a man mountain he was. Uh, Kerry Dixon, of course, has got to be mentioned. Another one, criminally overlooked, I think, by England, especially when he's at his peak. You know, he wasn't being picked on form. If you're on form, there were two or three seasons when Kerry Dixon would have been and should have been the number one choice for England because the, the man just rained goals. Um, you got little Pat Nevin, uh, Hullet, still can't remember, cannot go over the day he turned up because I kept thinking, what, the Rude Hullet? You know, I think a lot of Chelsea fans were going, what, the Rude Hullet? You know, as if there was some sort of imposter somewhere. Um, and then, um, of course, um, Luca Vialli um, and, and Franco Zola, who, this this was signs that this, this side had come on leaps and bounds and that... Um, you know, it wasn't just Tottenham with Klinsman that were able to go and get these players. And, and and there's an argument that they could have been past their best. I'm not sure about Zola because he was pretty much um, uh, Maradona's understudy, wasn't he, I think. And I think he just wanted that opportunity to go and show what he could do. And he would never have got that chance behind uh, Maradona. Um, but then, you know, into the latter years, of course, John Terry, uh, Joe Cole. Joe Cole, another criminally underrated player I think both for England and, and possibly amongst Chelsea fans I think he had everything that uh, to be uh, an early version of Eden Hazard and I just think the changes in manager and all that kind of you know fouled all that up um super Frank Lampard um and then I think most recently and I think possibly in my Jesus 50 years of supporting Chelsea <laughs> You can tell him we've got me head in my hands. It's just the thought of 50 years of support with Chelsea. Um, but I think the best player I have ever seen there is Eden Hazard. Just, I just, I just can't ever think of a player that excited, thrilled and tormented other teams like Hazard did. And I, another one that we just didn't capitalise on um, in the same way that Barcelona did with Messi or um, arguably uh, Napoli did with Maradona or you know, those teams, you know, where they've they've built their squads around players, and I think Eden Hazard was he, he again dragged us through last season. But yeah, fantastic mm. player, long live in the memory. He will for me. Well, what's interesting about that? Because the, of course, the next question is who was your if you had to nail it down, who's your Chelsea hero? But he yes. doesn't come from any of that lot. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. And, and I looked at this because when I saw the the way the questions were were um, were structured. Uh, I thought it was just so obvious if I put him in there and all this. And I, I think this one player, when you look at the overall, and, uh, you know, there's this big argument. You've still got the big thing, Peter Osgood, the king of Stanford Bridge and all this sort of stuff. OK, but if you look at it 
from not only the emotional aspect, which is very important and it's part and parcel of being a football fan and part and parcel of our whole psyche of, of why you are who you are and why you and I are friends and how we came to become friends and it was because of the commonality of Chelsea and the emotional commonality. We didn't sit in a pub and discuss statistics. We talked about experiences. We latched onto those things that mean something to us. Uh, and for me, that's one of the most incredibly important parts of it. But this man... Um, when you look at the titles, the trophies uh, and his impact to Chelsea, right from a so-called dodgy start to the way he finished his career, not only the first time, but also arguably the second time where he helped us. And then look at what he did outside of football. OK, the stuff he did, he stopped a war in his own country, and that's Didier Drogba. I absolutely think if there's going to be another statue outside Stamford Bridge, if you're going to have the king is dead, long live the king, put Didier Drogba up there. In front of Frank Lampard, in front of any other player, that man who scored in every single cup final we played in, okay, uh, he, he dragged us through that Barcelona game. He gave away a penalty but he got us back in the game with a header that lives long in the memory. And then that penalty at the end, you know, and, and for me, Chidge, the shot where he stands, but he puts the ball on the spot. I've got goose pimples now. You finally could see this way I'm talking about this. He put the ball on the spot, stood back, and then he flattened his shirt, his trousers down. Because, you know, you've got to look your best when you do this. Yeah, that for me, that man, Didier Drogba, I think, for me, out of every player I've ever seen. Um, if I ever met him, I think you'd probably see Tony Glover have his first ever man crush and go weak at the knees and not be able to speak. <laughs> Does that come across well? Because that's generally how I feel about the man. I think that's, I mean, it was a, it kind of surprised me, but I think putting it the way that you have, it, 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 as you said, it's it's a very obvious choice and in the nicest possible way. And uh, I think his importance to the club you know, will reverberate for a very long time if only the club actually realised it. Maybe they did. Yeah. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. When you follow a big team like Chelsea, one of the most frustrating things is not being able to get a ticket for the match, especially when it's away and not live on TV in the UK. What can you do? Get updates from your mates? Follow online commentary? Listen to the radio? Let's face it, it's not the same as actually watching the match live, is it? NordVPN have the solution to every football supporter's match day problems when they can't watch the match live. NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match, and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. It's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to NordVPN dot com forward slash Chelsea fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30 day money back guarantee and you'll help support the Chelsea fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Right now I'm going to go and look at some of your favourite matches here. Now I have to say two things strike me about this. One is 
your list is unbelievably long. We've got two hours worth of content here. The other thing that surprises me, because of course you're going to interview me at a later stage and you've, yes. you've seen my answers to the questions so you've got an idea of what we're going to talk about. And I can't believe how similar the lists are. So I'm going to ask you the obvious question. You know, did did my list, in a sense, uh, inform your choices? Or is this, is this just randomly mad that we both got very, very similar lists of favourite matches? It's, it's 50-50. When I saw your list, I thought, do you know what? If I've got to pick out some games here... Um, uh, and the commonality. Uh, let's put you know Barcelona four two. You, how can you forget that game? You know a game that arguably, when you look at it afterwards, we probably got away with because of some absolute perfect shithousery from Percy from Ricardo <laughs> Carvalho. Who I think pushed one of their players out of the way so that Terry's head could go in. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is the sort of stuff we 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 suddenly stopped getting. I thought we were over an unknown quantity then. So. We'll stop getting away with that in later years. But it was, it, you know, Ricky Carvalho was a master of the dark arts of defending. And I loved him. I loved I loved his his ability to get away with that sort of stuff. And, yeah, so I think there was there was some informed stuff there. Some of the stuff in there I think was different. Uh, I think... Well, obviously um, the, the cup, cup final, final in 70, because I, I, yeah. I, I hadn't even... Chelsea weren't even on my radar then. yeah. Yeah, uh, I think. Um, I mean, if you uh, do, you want me to just rattle through these? Well, just, just like, either rattle through or just pick pick a few out. We can just, yeah, we can uh, riff with uh, it. So uh, we've obviously done the cup final in seventy. Um, I think the there was this ridiculous uh, game, and I had uh, one of the hangovers from hell. Couldn't get to the game, um, and it was in nineteen ninety four. And I had a ticket offered to me for the game. Um, I didn't have a season ticket back then because I was on shift work. Um, but it was against Spurs, uh, February 27th, 1994. Uh, it was 4-3. Uh, I think Mark Steen scored the winning goal or whatever. It was it was one of those bonkers games which you just thought, uh, you, you, you know, we didn't want to lose it because we had such a great record against Spurs uh, at that point. Um, but it, it was just one of them games where I remember yeah, everybody in the house heard me when the winning goal went in. Um, and uh, and to that, that hangover, which was one of those where you're being so sick that you think your insides are going to leave your body, um, had gone. <laughs> and and it, it was one of the one of the first lessons that if you want to get rid of a hangover, you've got to have a distraction, a distraction that just completely takes you away from the self pity of the hangover. So that game, um, certainly. Well, I before think before we of, move on, I'm going. I yeah. want to talk about this game a bit because. You know, you talk about shithousery and you, you and I are, are big fans of that when it comes mm. to football and Chelsea in particular. And I think when it comes to Chelsea and Spurs <clears throat> and the this is almost the old, I think until recently when we stopped them per se winning the league, this has got to be one of the most shithouse yes. wins. I mean, yeah. just to put this in context, this is the 27th of February 1994. Tottenham had a, had a decent side then. Um and we were in 18th position. We were we were not in good shape. Uh, it was also actually noteworthy for the fact that there was no Matthew Harding stand because this is when all mm. the rebuilding was going. Because I looked at this and I thought, 19,000 mm. in Stamford Bridge for a bloody <laughs> Spurs game? You're having a Steffi... And then I realised that that's the, the, the Matthew Harding end or the North Terrace as it was before then had been knocked down completely. So the, the capacity was limited. But talk about shithousery, right? Spurs are 2-0 up, right, after um, 20 minutes, right? Kevin hit... Sorry, not what am I talking about? Yeah, 2-0 up. Well, Sedge, Steve Sedgley, who, funny enough, I've met. He's quite a decent lad. Yeah, yeah. Jason Dazelle, 
right, on 18 minutes. They scored two goals in a couple of minutes. They're 2-0 up, right? We then get back into it with uh, Mal Donaghy, gets one deflected off uh, Campbell, I think it was, uh, and then uh, Mark Steen gets one in, volleys in from close range. Two all, ha- uh, two all, five mm. minutes to go before half time, and Johnny Spencer absolutely, That's it, Johnny Spencer. he absolutely clattered one in. I mean, it's a brilliant goal, just absolutely rifled in. So we're three two at half time, right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, the commentary. I look back on this, and the commentary is already saying, you know, that. Uh, before we'd equalised, they were saying, "Oh, you know, maybe our very long run, a winning run against Spurs, is under under threat here. A very long run, winning run that had only been going on for about three years at this stage, <laughs> which, which makes me really laugh. If only they knew. If only yes. they knew. Right, second half, okay. Um, and what happens? Uh, Andy Gray scores a penalty on seventy-two minutes. It's now three all. Right, eighty-two minutes. Andy Gray gets another penalty. And it's saved. Saved by Dimitri Karin. Mm. 90 minutes, Mark Steen gets a penalty and scores it. I mean, mm. if that's not a shithouse win, I don't yeah. know what is. It, and it was. It was It was just one of those that lived in the lived in my memory. It's just one of those where, you, at the end of it, I was ready for a beer. And I, I, I had literally almost drunk the pub dry the night before. So I think, you know, look at that game. I've got uh, just a couple of others I'll pick up. There's, there's the Middlesbrough Cup final. Um 27-year drought uh, uh, that we'd had. Um, I'm not going to include the, the silly trophies in there that weren't probably you know, that were set up by the uh, the FA um, in order to compensate for the loss of European football, etc. Um, but that particular one, where after 43 seconds, me and my brother had just sat down. Um, my, my brother John, uh, I think you've met him on the rat train uh, when we did that. He, when we sat down, he, we have never watched a cup final together and lost. Okay, so the only time we've been separated at the cup final was Chelsea have lost, and we just sat down and we literally got our beer, just sat down there, whatever, and <laughs> we had our hands in our glass. Fuck it, it's gone in, you know, um, from Robbie Di Matteo, and it was just, it, and it was that one of those wonderful goals where there's a millisecond afterwards where even the fans aren't quite sure. And it hasn't quite registered. And Hazard did it with his goal against Arsenal and his goal against West Ham, where people are going, did, did, yes, you know, that kind of thing, um, before VAR decided to make that two minutes long, that interval. Um, uh, so, yeah, um, I've got Galatasaray away in 2000. It's just, this is, uh, you know, when that when that draw came out, I just thought, oh, my God, who wants to go there? They had a fierce, they still have a fearsome reputation, but their reputation back then was fearsome with the welcome to hell stuff. Um, and you know, I didn't go to the game, I watched it on telly. Um, I think we won 5 0, didn't we? 5 1 away win. And the welcome to hell that the fans were giving us at the end, the Galatasaray fans had been so humbled and their team so put to bed that they were applauding Chelsea. That you know, I don't think any team's ever gone to that ground and been. And I've, I'm not sure if we've ever been back since, but it'd be yeah, interesting to know have. if we have and whether the welcome was like, "Oh, hello, we know you lot, you're all right." Um, but there you go. I've got Bolton 2005. That you know, the the, the title drought, um, which you know went beyond you and I. You know, we'd we'd grown up at that point, never having had a sniff of a title. Yeah, from 1955. Okay, so when you started supporting them and when I started supporting it was just one of those things. And and you were always, I think, even up to that point, content with Chelsea being a cup team. Yeah. 
you know, we'll win the odd cup here and there and all this sort of stuff, but we're never going to be an Arsenal or a Manchester United or a Liverpool in that sense. And and that year, Jose changed everything um, with that win. And, and 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 it wasn't a fluky win. It wasn't a nervy win. You know, against a, a, a Sam Allardyce Bolton side, as I recall, that were, you know, perfectly. Uh, well versed in that arts of shit she has read themselves um so you know to do that and win the title there was was brilliant and then i think i'm just going to jump over the next few because you obviously got the barcelona semi-final with um are we allowed to swear on this one yeah yeah uh, with rambo's fuck you barcelona goal when we came back in the uh new camp one which was basically to me with frank lampard's little pass and uh ramirez and his little chip was basically saying fuck you barcelona you, you, anything you can do, we're just as capable of doing. And it was a wonder goal. And of course, Torres, with his absolute shithouse piss take, I'm a Madrid boy, never am I going to miss this opportunity to rub this one into your noses. I mean, the only thing that Torres could have done to have made that better was to have headed the ball over the line by just getting onto his belly, you know, just to really, <laughs> really, really take the piss. Um, so that game... Um, I'm going to go Bayern Munich as well because of what I've just said. I think we've already covered that with Didier Drogba. With the fact that, you know, my brother turned up on my doorstep. We'd beaten Liverpool the week before in the cup final. Uh, and my brother turned up on the doorstep and said, I'm not sure about this one time. And I went, uh, me neither. Uh, you know, in their, in their ground, in their country, um, every single odd stacked against you. No captain, uh, no Ivanovic. Um, uh, players out there on crutches, basically, you know, um, and, th- and and to take that game, not only by the scruff of the neck, eventually, uh, to, to narrowly miss the chance of winning it in extra time, um, the penalty saves, you know, drama doesn't get any better than that. And I, I still think to this day, I'm not sure I've seen a better cup final from anybody, um, not just saying that because it's Chelsea, that one had every element you could ever want. And then I'm just going to finish it off with a game this season, um, and it, it, that one might have surprised you, which was our two-one yeah. home defeat. Because obviously, people only want to ever talk about the the good games, but it was a two-one home defeat to Liverpool back in September. Um, we'd suffered from Sarri Ball last season, where games where I didn't want to be there. You know, I was in the ground twenty minutes, thinking I should have stayed in the pub. This is awful shit, uh, you know. Um, and irrespective of of you know where we finished and what we won, you know, to me that was a, a real low point season for me um, because I just didn't enjoy being there I didn't enjoy anything about last season really um, and then to come this season with Frank home to Liverpool a team that had won the Champions League a team that we now know was almost going to go the season unbeaten uh, and that game we I think we were 2-0 down we were 2-0 down at half time I seem to recall from two set pieces it was just that, you that know, Trent Alexander-Arnold yes. free kick yeah and you're thinking, oh, you know, this, you know, and and the guys I sit with, you've met Attila and Tony. We're sitting there, and we're doing the old, we, you know, what? It's a baptism of fire. The players will learn more from this than they will from winning. You know, the usual stuff you sort of talk yourself into believing. Uh, and then second half to come out and and get a goal back. And and for 25 minutes up until the final whistle, we battered them. We absolutely played them off the park with some of the most fantastic exciting thrilling football i've seen uh, and certainly it may well have it may well be an optical illusion change it may well have been because the season before had been so dire but this was something else and when that final whistle went i've, I've always said it it's it's uh, it's rocky versus apollo creed yeah apollo creed is he's done enough to win 
at the end of the first film, but he knows he's had a fight. Yeah, and he's the most relieved to hear that final bell, that final whistle at Liverpool. You know, we stood, and I don't know if you, I can't remember if you were at the game, I think you were. Yeah. Uh, and the fans stayed behind for five or ten minutes afterwards, cheering that team on. When have you ever seen that other than when we've won a trophy or a league? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That sort of, and a defeat. A defeat. To me, that was the point where I was thinking, we're going to be all right. If not this season, and this season has completely been thrown on its arse by everything else that's going on, far more important stuff. But I just thought the future's bright here. Really did. Yeah, it's a very good choice, that. An interesting one, but a good one. Um... Let's try and drill it down a bit uh, and, and make you force you into choosing your best Chelsea moment of all time. Um, th- th- then I would be, I would have to be a complete contrarian, wouldn't I, to have not picked out the 19th of May 2012 um, and the Champions League win. I, I think at that point, and, and you and I actually brought this up in a little friendly chat on the rat train about how it crossed our minds that maybe, maybe we can just retire now as fans, you know, not as fans, but as match going fans, we've seen everything. There's nothing else to see here. You know, we, we get now, yeah. Uh, and, um, and of course we know that's not going to happen until, you know, infirmity or disability stops us from, um, from doing, doing that. But that game, I think you have to say, uh, extra special for any number of reasons, um, you know, for what a send off for Didier Drogba. And I know he came back and helped us um, uh, a couple of seasons later. Um, but as a role model, everything about that game, it was Drogba's cup um, for me. Uh, and I, I also think, you know, with all the odds stacked against you, everything and that whole campaign, you know, with the, with the games leading up to it, we, we did not get a buy in any round. We had tough teams, right? Uh, we put out a crop team and we won that. Uh, and I, I just think, you know, uh, add on to that, the little cherry on the top of that cake is we're the only team in London with a European Cup. And I'm from London, right? I've got lots of mates in London, lots of relatives in London. And boy, oh boy, while we're in that position, mate, they're never going to be allowed to forget it. <laughs> Quite right too. Yeah, I think I think you know for all of us, it, it's not impossible to go beyond Munich, really, isn't it? Um, mm. I totally get that. Um, yeah. Okay, from the sublime to the ridiculous, or, or worse than that, uh, what about worst Chelsea moments? Well, I think you and I hit. This was a coincidence, but it was the playoffs back in 1988 when we got relegated. I were, think were you there? Was, were you there at the game? No, I didn't go. I was in the back garden of my old house trying to avoid it want to avoid everything to do with it uh, doing that kind of god complex thing which was if i'm not there they can't fuck it up yeah um which is a terribly arrogant perspective um no question about it but um you know that that was what it was almost la 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 i can't hear you uh, and then when the results came through on five live um or if five live was around then i can't remember but whatever the station was you listened to back then um you know just Sports the sheer, support. Yeah, sports. Yeah, just just the sheer horror, and this was pre-Twitter days, uh, you know. So we didn't even get texts uh, back in them days for for the results or whatever. And but just the sheer horror of knowing that we'd been. And I think it wasn't they were sorting out the leagues as well then, weren't they? So there was more drop down. The playoffs were out of uh, the first the and play. only time. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's right. Uh, and, 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 you know, there was no way in, in, on earth that I thought we would ever, ever um, lose out to Middlesbrough. Um, you know, to be fair, we got our revenge against them a few years later, very publicly in front of 100,000 people or whatever at Wembley Stadium. But that game, um, I think I picked out the Barcelona semi in <laughs> 2000. I mean, you know, again, a, a game that features Didier Drogba large basically because of his rant in front of the cameras afterwards, I think, which was... Um, you know, if that didn't show what Chelsea meant to the man, I don't know what did. Um, but it, you got that. But I, I think the worst Chelsea moment for me, and and this is this is an off football moment. It was the twenty second of October, nineteen ninety six. Um, I was at work, and a guy, Ken Kenny Amel, who was a Man United fan, we used to have a bit of football banter, but we got on really well. Uh, came up to me, uh, and I was just walking down the stairs, and I was a, a trainee network engineer at the time. Uh, and he came up to me and he said, God, Brian, that's terrible news about your boy, isn't it? I said, what's happening? He said, your boy, he said, he, he, he was the geezer in that helicopter crash last night. I said, well, I heard about an helicopter crash because it was on the news, but they hadn't identified. And it was the, you know, the death of Matthew Harding. Um, I, I'm not, as you probably know, I am not a Ken Bates fan. I, I know what he did for the club. I know he saved it. Uh, you know, be careful what you wish for, because to my mind, Ken Bates became a kind of Kim Jong Un or whatever the the dictator at that time was. Uh, he, he became a power crazed zealot, if you like, um, for the club. His electric fences and all the stuff he wanted to do, and his complete, in the end, disregard for the fans. And Matthew Harding was a, a sort of shining light that we were on the brink of something new potentially new ownership uh, and someone who got the club who was a lifelong fan yeah it's a big dream wasn't it the lifelong fan becomes the owner of the club um and i think subsequently i've been proved right i still say that i think ken Bates showed his true colors with the way he treated the harding family ruth harding etc afterwards by you know banning them from the ground and, and removing any honorary titles or whatever he did um, he became sort of like a southwest London version of Joe Stalin in my eyes. And, and Matthew Harding, I was at the game um, after uh, after he died. Spurs game, wasn't it? Yeah, and and you can't, you, you cannot get away from how that was and how sad that was, and I think how affecting it was. And we'll never know. We'll never know if he would have taken the club further, if he would have wrested ownership from from Ken Bates. I I, I know legally the sticking point was Bates wanted his money. Um, Matthew Harding wanted to know where Bates's funding was. Who was this mysterious um, Swan Investments company that were owners of the club? And Bates wouldn't um, disclose any of that. And you know, who's going to put millions of their own money into something they don't know where, where they can't do any due diligence? But it was a terrible, terrible, terrible tragedy for the club. I still think the fact that we've named a stand where you and I now sit um, after him is is fitting tribute to a, a you know. Someone who potentially could have, you know, uh, been the dream owner. It's mm, a good point, actually. I mean, that's a, yeah. a very good, uh, a very good, you know, kind of spot or take. I think. Uh, yeah, I remember waking up to that news, listening to the radio. It was horrible, wasn't it? Um, I think he was also because he was very approachable. He was well known to be used um, to drink in know, the freak. Imperial Arms, which is where I used yeah, to drink right. at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and and was always happy to sort of chat with fans. And and it's quite rare for anyone in football hierarchy to do. It. And Benitez did it with Liverpool. He was very very known to be sort of able, you know, going to pubs around Liverpool. Um, and Peter Kenyon um, 
our, our former chairman, uh, our, our, yeah, was our chairman. He was, he? Yeah, yeah. Chief exec or whatever. Chief exec. Um, you know, irrespective of his Man United background, made a point of going into local bars and pubs, etc., and asking people what they want. You know, he was always willing to front it up. And I just think when you had the lights of, I, I shared a, a lift with Ken Bates once, and I, I it was just skin crawlingly awful. Twenty seconds, even with his big fur coat and and just the way he looked down on me and my friends. Uh, nah, sorry. So I think that it was it was a. Uh, yeah, it's an unusual one to have as a worst Chelsea moment because I think people would probably go for an on-pitch incident. Yeah, but it's, it's not just about that, and I think that's exactly why it's a really good pick. Um, all right, last kind of couple yep. of questions, really. Uh, just kind of a bit of a, a dose of modernism. Um, <laughs> who, who are your favourite modern players? Uh, I'd say Tony Rudiger. Um, I was glad when he came back last season, and despite the fact that he had a yeah, a few sticky games to start with, um, as you would do after such a, a sort of long time uh, on on the sidelines with injury, an injury that needed specialist treatment. I think Tony Rudiger should be our captain. Um, I like, I've always liked the idea of a German as a captain. Um, I also think, not only because of his Germanness, um, but I think his attitude is my, me and you. He gets as annoyed as we do. Uh, and he's not afraid to tell anybody on the pitch, whether they're the opposition or his own team, what he thinks. I think the one thing that will push him up to be an absolute cert for captain, if he spoke to John Terry, because I think John Terry would say, if I, you know, John Terry was renowned for the fact that if, if someone uh, kicked Joe Cole up in the air, like Ron Harris used to, John Terry would be on them. You do that again, right? And you'll have me to deal with. Um, if I saw a bit more of, of that from Rudiger, uh, maybe there's no place for it in the modern game, Chidge. I don't know. There's but... no place for football in the modern game, mate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Brian, that could be a strap line, couldn't it, that one? Um, I, I think him, um, out of the kids, um, my favourite is Mason Mount. Um, I think Reese James and some of the others, Billy the Kid, um, will be fabulous. But Mason Mount has been consistent um, and has never lost the joy that's on his face and from the fact that he's a regular first teamer um, and also he's a local lad to where I live. I met his cousin in uh, a supermarket last year. He was working the tills and she, she saw my Chelsea shirt. And went, my cousin plays for Chelsea and um, the Mount family are quite well known in and around Haven. Um, and then I think from this season, the player who's currently sitting there as my favourite, because I think he's been an absolute revelation um, is Matteo Kovacic. And I'll, I'll tell you this very, very quick story. Um, at the beginning of the season, me and Tilly Antone had gone down for our half-time pint. It was a bloke, he was pissed. He was off his face, Chidge, right? And he was singing his song, and I can't remember the tune of it now. I wish I could, but it was um, yeah, uh, Kovacic. He's the fucking man. He blew out such and such, and Milan. He came, it was a fantastic song, up there with Walter's uh, William song. You know, it would have just been the chart. And we were all looking at him going, what on earth are you on, Kovacic? He's the man or whatever. And within a few games, I, I look at him and I see a, a kind of a blend of Claude McAuley and Frank Lampard if he could score some goals. I, I just think he's he's another one. I, I wouldn't spill his pint, Chidge. I would not spill his pint, you know. Um, so, yeah. I'd buy him one or two, maybe. I'd buy him one, of course, yes. Yeah, yeah. Mate, that's a great segue, of course, because we want to finish this up, really, with, yep. with your favourite Chelsea song. And, you, you again, like like your matches, you've chosen most of Chelsea's songbook here. <laughs> I, I just think... Um, 
there will always be a play. I really desperately hope that there's a good conclusion to this season because I would love Leeds United back in the Premiership. Mm. Um, so I can sing, we all hate Leeds. We all hate Leeds. Yeah. We all fucking hate Leeds. Yeah. Um, one from, from the archives, really, never gets sung anymore, is Molly Malone. Um, just a lovely, lovely song back in the days when probably football was possibly um, still as tribal but less, less abusive um, than it is now. Um, just a lovely song to sing that one to Chelsea. Uh, Ten men went to Mo. Um, uh, but on the other side of it, in your Liverpool slums, <laughs> it never ceases to make me uh, smile, uh, especially as my brother-in-law is a Liverpool fan. And I give him all three verses that I know of that song. Um, there's the Williams song. And then just recently, I think, um, uh, the Fabregas Magic Hat song, because that song... Um, was just an expression of sheer joy. Yeah. And I, I sometimes think the songs that we sing can be always about attacking the others, teams or taking the piss out of other players. But that song was a celebration, you know. Um, and I think we sang it so long and loud in the Fimbra on the day we won the, uh, the, the, the premiership under Jose. And you were there, Chidge, I think it was uh, yeah, yeah, before yeah. and after the game. Oh, yeah. Um, and that song just got so much for it you know uh, and the fact that yet another Arsenal player had come to us um, and, um, uh, uh, and and found success that was sadly lacking at Arsenal hey, you know that's a, that's a great story yeah it is isn't it so if I had to pin you down to your favourite Chelsea song which would it be um, uh, I, I'm going to go with uh, In Your Liverpool Slums just because um I just, it, it always makes me laugh. Always, 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 always makes me smile. It's a very good choice. Uh, I, I think uh, I should sh- at this point share that there are there are some fan casters who preceded you that sang that in the uh, Jacaranda pub in Liverpool uh, a while ago, together with the um, the song about Michael Shields getting. I can't, you know. Michael oh, yeah. has got 15 years did, did it, and all that. Yeah, and, yeah. And a mighty ruck ensued. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's not... Yeah, I mean, it may be a bit old school um, in terms of how I... It's a great song. Yeah, but I just, think, I just think for the... you know, um, And actually, it works for any team singing about any other team, doesn't it, really, I suppose? Oh, no, no, that one it, it's, it can only ever be about Liverpool. <laughs> let's be frank. Uh, mate, this has been uh, the best uh, 50 minutes I've spent this week by a long country mile. Uh, absolutely absolutely brilliant hearing you know your memories of Chelsea and what kind of got you there and got you through it all, which is uh, kind of precisely what this thing's about, really. So thank you so much mm. for agreeing to do My it. My pleasure. Really enjoyed that. Yeah. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! No, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver-assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times.